This is the Canadian Taxpayers Federation podcast, where we're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I'm Chris Sims. I'm the Alberta Director for the CTF. My friend and colleague, Franco, you're out in Ottawa right now holding down the fort. But Franco, uh, we're doing one of my favorite things ever in the whole year. There might be like Christmas, Halloween, and gas tax honesty day. We've got our 25th annual uh, coming up here for gas tax honesty day. It highlights how much we're spending at the pumps in taxes. Just rip the bandaid off, bro. Just how much are we paying at the pumps? Well, across Canada, you're looking at about 55 cents a liter of gas in taxes. Like that's the average. So you go to the pumps, you gas up, Every liter, 55 cents of it about is 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 taxes. So taxes account for up to 40% of the pump price here in Canada. So let's say you're driving a big sedan, I don't know, like a big uh, Honda Accord or something like that. Let's just call it a 64 liter fuel tank. You're paying about 35 bucks just in tax. So a big sedan, not like a big rig diesel or a, a Ford F-150 or Ram or even a Dodge Caravan. No, we're talking like a big sedan. Uh, about 35 bucks just in tax. Now, the obvious thing to say here is, well, if you're a politician and you truly want to make life more affordable, then what you could do today immediately is just cut this huge tax bill that people are paying every time they go to fuel up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's one of my favorite things is watching these politicians say, oh, we care so much about affordability. Meanwhile, they're cranking up taxes on things like fuel. You made that point directly, by the way, dear listeners, go back and watch this at committee where you said something to the effect of, man, you politicians, every time you tra- drive past the Shell station, must be patting yourselves on the back saying, I did that. And they did that because of high taxes. And like Franco just said, like that, that price tag he just mentioned there, that's for a Honda Accord. That's not for a big honking vehicle. If we're talking about a big honking vehicle, like a big rig, keep in mind that there are fuel taxes on diesel too. And it's around 52 cents per liter across the country on diesel. I just did the quick math. That's about $275 extra just in taxes for one cylinder tank on one of those big rigs. What do those things do? Well, they deliver everything we eat and use. So all that stuff you see on the shelf at the stores, of course, was delivered to you by a truck using diesel. They they actually pay fuel taxes on that. So that increases the cost of everything. So Franco, the, the report is big and mighty, and it's really easy to read. I recommend everybody take a look at it. Break it down for us a bit, though, here. Which provinces have the highest tax bill? I bet I know which one. Okay. So I got my numbers right in front of me, folks. Are you ready to no one's surprise? Drum roll, please. The cities of Vancouver and Victoria are paying the highest tax bill. (laughs) Yep, no surprise. And one of the reasons that Vancouver and Victoria have the highest tax bills, one of the reasons, is that they also have these transit taxes that they pay every time you fuel up in those cities. Montreal is is the third city in Canada that also has a transit tax at the pumps. Now, Vancouver has uh, the biggest tax bill. Taxes make up 40% of the pump price when you're in uh, Vancouver, so that's huge, right? So let's say during the third week of July, um, that's when we put together all of the information in this report. So if you look at the third week of July, um, well, the tax bill at the pumps was about 78 cents per liter of gas. 78 cents per liter of gas in Vancouver uh, was just tax. So if you have that uh, bigger sedan, the bigger Honda Accord model that you can get, well, you pay almost 50 bucks just in tax on that bigger sedan every time you're fueling up in Vancouver. About 50 smackers. Ouch. Mm-hmm. Um, the second the second most unaffordable city at the pumps is Victoria. Um, you're looking at 71 cents per liter in tax every time you fuel up in Victoria. And now one of the reasons, well, I guess the second reason, if we can call it that, that uh, you got Vancouver and Victoria that are paying so much in tax is because the second carbon tax. The governments of BC have had a second carbon tax in place for quite some time. And BC second carbon tax currently costs about 17 cents per liter of gasoline. After the uh, the the western cities, the cities on the west coast, Vancouver and Victoria, then you have uh, places like New Brunswick and Nova Scotia that come in third. If we can say coming in third uh, at about sixty seven <laughs> cents per liter of gas. So our, our friends on the east coast are also getting bit hard with high taxes. Now another place that I just want to highlight is, is Montreal. You you have a big tax bill every time you go to Montreal as well. And in Montreal. 
you're paying seven different taxes every time you fuel up. Our The report, the name is called gas tax honesty. And one of the reasons we call it that is because there's so many hidden taxes that you don't see on the receipt when you pay, but nonetheless is increasing the cost of gasoline. So in Montreal, seven different taxes. You're looking at a federal gas tax, a provincial gas tax, the carbon tax, the second carbon tax that just came in federally, the GST, the Quebec sales tax, and the transit tax. <laughs> this is like the worst night at bingo, like ever. <laughs> it's so expensive. You just mentioned uh, BC winning the gold for high gas taxes and high gas prices right off the top. Um, just to really put a point on this, if you drive from where I am now in Alberta across the border, say you're in the Crow's Nest Pass on Highway 3 and you drive across the border into BC, into Sparwood, it's only a few minutes difference. But you're hit in the face with the gas price jump at the pump. It's around 30 cents or sometimes even 40 cents more the moment you cross over. And one of the big reasons for that is, well, number one, we have a discount here in Alberta. And number two, in British Columbia, like Franco just said, folks, there's already a second carbon tax and it's around 17 cents a liter, but it's worse. So BC's second carbon tax is super high, like we just said, but Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, looked at the gas price in Vancouver, which hovers around $2 a liter, and said, huh, that's totally rad. I'm going to do that across the whole country. But for real, he modeled the second carbon tax after BC's second carbon tax. So it's going to get a lot more expensive really soon. But Franco, something we need to point out too, and it's right here in the report, and we get emails about this, is the tax on tax. Can you break that down for listeners? <laughs> What's the tax on tax at the fuel pump? Yeah, this is especially pernicious, I'd say, right? Yeah. So the government charges its sales tax on top of the other per liter fuel taxes. Okay, so they add up all their gas taxes, their excise taxes, their carbon taxes, whatever, and then they charge those taxes with a tax, with the sales tax on top of those taxes. Now, the feds do this. So there is a, a, a sales tax on tax across the entire country because the federal because the federal government does it. And so do all of the provincial governments um, east of Manitoba. So for those poor suckers out east, <laughs> hi, everyone, <laughs> uh, we're paying a tax on tax because of the federal uh, sales tax, but also the provincial sales taxes are on top of it. So it's especially pernicious because if prices go up, you pay more in tax. And if the government increases the taxes, which increase the prices, well, then you're paying more because of that tax on tax as well. So on average, across our great, beautiful country, uh, Canadians pay about four cents per liter of gas because of the tax on tax. Now, what that means is that if you have that 64 liter bigger sedan uh, fuel tank, you're paying about $2.65, $2.65 every fuel up. Okay, but let's say you fuel up that sedan once a week, right? Pretty pretty reasonable. Mm -hmm. Well, then you're paying about 140 bucks a year almost just in the tax on tax. So, 140 bucks a year. Okay, to be clear, folks, this is the tax on the taxes. This is on top of the tax on the fuel. So $140, like I could get a decent amount of groceries for that. It's roughly about, you know, half of my weekly grocery bill. So that is milk and chicken and canned tuna. That is taking that directly out of people's grocery budgets. But instead, you're nailing them with a tax on tax. That's gross. So part of what we do every year with the Gas Tax Honesty Day is we track the changes, so what's new, Pussycat, in this gas tax honesty day report? What's the change? That's got to be a reference, but I don't know what the reference is. So just, I'm older than Franco, just in case anybody doesn't know this. <laughs> that's an old song from the 60s. Go ahead, okay. Franco. <laughs> well, that's also before your time, too. So It is. Um, okay. <laughs> Big tax changes this year before Simmer threw me a curveball and anyone who's seen me play baseball know I can't hit a curveball and that's you can catch them though taxes. you can catch them yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so the big yeah. the big change this year were surprise surprise courtesy of Mr. Trudeau here in Ottawa who cranked up his carbon tax from 11 cents per liter of gas to 14 cents per liter of gasoline so thank you very much 
Um, also, to our friends on the East Coast, well, unfortunately, the Trudeau government is now hammering you with this carbon tax as well. The Trudeau government's carbon tax landed on the East Coast in Atlantic Canada on July 1. Happy Canada Day, everyone. Also, uh, because of that, we saw the single largest carbon tax hike in Canadian history in Nova Scotia. Overnight, the carbon tax increased in Nova Scotia uh, by about 10 bucks for every fuel up of a minivan. Okay, so it went from two cents a liter, that was the provincial cap and trade carbon tax in Nova Scotia, two cents a liter, all the way up, you can't even see my hand, it's so, such a big tax hike, uh, to 14 cents per liter of gas. So overnight, let's say you have a Dodge Caravan and you wanna take your kids, I don't know, you wanna celebrate Canada Day, so you wanna fuel up that minivan and head over to Cape Breton. Well, overnight, uh, the Trudeau government's carbon tax increase would have cost a Nova Scotian family fueling up that minivan 10 bucks extra. Now, another big carbon tax hike Canada Day present was the introduction of Trudeau's second carbon tax through fuel regulations. No, it doesn't replace Trudeau's first carbon tax. No, there are no rebates with this second carbon tax. Yes, it will cost you big time. Okay, so by the time the Trudeau government's fuel regulation is fully implemented, which is 2030, um, the second carbon tax and the first carbon tax will cost the average family more than 2000 bucks every single year. That's in 2030 and will increase the price of gasoline by about 55 cents a liter. Now, Chris, uh, the feds haven't been upfront about the initial cost of the second carbon tax. Uh, but we do know that it costs Atlantic Canadians that second carbon tax anywhere between four and eight cents per liter. Uh, immediately just because they have this weird system out there where they have like centrally regulated gasoline prices. Right. I remember when I lived out there, uh, they would announce, the government would announce what the new fuel regulation price was going to be on the radio. It was totally strange. So that's interesting. So what, between four and eight cents right out of the chutes for Atlantic Canadians for the second carbon tax? The second carbon tax. Correct. Wow. So, folks, this is costing you a lot of money. Uh, the good news is, though, is that there are some levels of government that are pushing back regardless of party affiliation. So Newfoundland and Labrador cut their gas taxes. So did the Ford government in Ontario. Uh, here in Alberta, uh, Premier Daniel Smith completely has suspended our provincial fuel tax. So usually we have a provincial fuel tax here in Alberta of 13 cents per liter of gas gasoline and diesel but that's not it doesn't exist right now it's completely suspended we only pay federal fuel taxes now at the pump and it's around 31 cents per liter so we've got the lowest taxes uh for fuel across canada so that's really good news so when i'm going to the pump i'm saving money compared to our neighboring provinces but franco something that i like what you do is you don't just do the comparison of provinces uh you look around the rest of the world and you do a cost comparison can you get down into that a little bit for fuel taxes fuel prices and other countries so the big the big thing hammering our wallets right now is the trudeau government's carbon tax hikes well yeah. trudeau's carbon taxes are especially self-defeating because more than 75 percent of countries don't even pay a single national carbon tax. And now Canadians are paying two Trudeau national carbon taxes. So I don't know, ask yourself, do you think making it more expensive for Canadians to live here in Canada will do anything to reduce emissions around the world? I think the answer is an obvious big fat no. <laughs> and and look, like since beginning of 2020, let's look, let's let's think about what's happened, right? People lost their job. People lost their business. People took significant pay cuts. And when I say people, of course, I, I refer to people not working in government. Um, yeah. Also during that time, the Trudeau government increased the carbon tax, uh, what, four times? Yeah. 2020, 2021, 2022, and again in 2023. And while Trudeau has been raising the carbon tax since the beginning of 2020, many other countries, many of our peer countries have been cutting gas taxes. Let me just list off a few. Australia, cut its gas tax in half. Germany cut gas taxes. The Netherlands cut gas taxes. India cut gas taxes specifically to provide inflation relief to people who are lower and middle income. Uh, Israel cut gas taxes. Italy cut gas taxes. Uh, New Zealand cut gas taxes. Portugal cut gas taxes. South Korea cut gas taxes by 20%. And then to provide even more relief, decided to cut its original gas tax by 30%. The United Kingdom they provided billions of dollars in fuel tax relief. 
So here's the story, folks. While Ottawa raises taxes and makes your life more expensive, other countries have been cutting taxes to make their citizens' lives more affordable. Franco, the information and the data in this report is invaluable uh, because as we point out right off the top, the government doesn't want you folks to know how badly you're getting screwed at the pumps when it comes to fuel taxes. But we here at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we've got all the information for you. And what you need to do with that information, folks, if you're tired of getting ripped off, especially when you're comparing yourself to other countries and you're not helping the environment, write a letter to your member of parliament and you tell them that this is a voting issue for you. Franco, thanks so much for this. Folks, if you want to read our report, go check our show notes here in the podcast, or you can head on over to our website, taxpayer.com. I'm here with my two best friends, Ryan Thorpe, <laughs> our investigative journalist, who's also holding down the fort right behind this wall here in Ottawa, and uh, Chris Sims. So I have both of them. Uh, Chris Sims, obviously, is our Alberta director, who you all know. Now, I have them both of, both of them on the show because I want to talk about uh, the press, the situation here in Canada, both how much money the government is giving to the media, right, in subsidies to the CBC, et cetera. But also, too, I want to talk about censorship. Let's talk about that as well. And these are probably one of the uh, the two of the best people in Canada to talk about this. Ryan, before we scooped him up, was at the Winnipeg Free Press. And Simmer, uh, not to disclose how uh, how many years you have in service in the fight here, but you spent a couple decades before coming to the CTF in journalism. So let's get right into it, folks. Ryan, let's start off the bat. How much money are taxpayers forking over to fund the media here in Canada? Well, the reality is, is it can be tough to keep track of it all because the federal government has announced so many different uh, initiatives for uh, the press in recent years. So um, one of the big ticket items is the $595 million uh, newspaper bailout. Uh, this is often what people are thinking about when they're talking about media subsidies, particularly for private owned media in this country. Um, and uh, that breaks down between you know tax credits, labor subsidies, everything that's kind of involved in that big pool of money that breaks down to about $13,750 per reporter in uh, private newsrooms in terms of their actual salary that's covered by the federal government. Um, but it, it doesn't stop there. There's also uh, what's called the Local Journalism Initiative, which is another 15 million or 50 million, sorry, $50 million pool of money the federal government uh, earmarked for the private press. There was 60 million that the industry got in uh, pandemic support um, over the past few years. And then there was a $10 million special measures for journalism top up. So when you add all of that together, just in regards to the private press in this country, setting aside the CBC, more than $700 million has been promised by the federal government to the private press in Canada. Um, and then I also think it's worth mentioning uh, Bill C-18, right? The Online News Act, which is the federal government's pay for link scheme, which is essentially um, an attempt to kind of twist the arms of big tech into forking over even more money um, to uh, private uh, private news outlets. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of the, the overview, the big picture in terms of the private press in this country, how much taxpayer dollars are, are going towards it. Just picking up on what Ryan said, uh, if you if you break down how much per reporter they're getting in government money or taxpayers money, the folks over at Canada Land did the math and they broke it down to about thirteen thousand dollars per reporter. Wow. So let's just, you know, yeah, like walk through that. So imagine that you're a reporter just for fun, imagine your reporter working on Parliament Hill and that 13000 of your paycheck is coming from that government. If you know that, how on earth are you supposed to call that game straight? Mm. Like, you can't. You know, it's just like in ethics. It's the perception of bias, okay, that erodes the trust and really kills the trust. So imagine if you're a reporter, you're chasing down a minister, say the minister of heritage, say they wasted a whole bunch of taxpayers' money, and you're going to hold them to account. You're going to stick a mic in their face. But you know 13000 of your paycheck, maybe even the existence of your job, hinges on money coming from that guy's ministry. It's it's just not going to work. This is yeah. exactly why this is a conflict of interest to have the government paying journalists. And, and it's not just the journalists too, right? Like what about the executives in the corporate press 
right? Like if they want a handout from the taxpayer, I mean, look, I've never worked in a, in a newsroom, which actually maybe makes me uh, the perfect person to talk about perception. I've never worked in a newsroom, right? So I don't really know exactly what goes on, but the perception certainly is like, look, everyone knows you don't really want to bite too hard on the hand uh, that feeds you. And it couldn't, it might not even be a journalist. It, it could be the higher ups, right? The executive team who wants uh, the money that's coming from government. And I mean, I know I don't need to remember, remind you guys, probably don't even need to remind our listeners, but it's not just the corporate press, the private media that is getting this corporate welfare. Let's call it what it is, right? It's also the Crown Corporation, our favorite state broadcaster, the CBC, that takes in more than a billion dollars every year from taxpayers, right? So uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in this corporate press media bailout, but then you also get a billion dollars every single year uh, from taxpayers going to the CBC. So, I mean, that adds up, folks, right? 10 years, 12 years, the CBC funding alone, you're looking at more than 10 billion or more than $12 billion. Um, but Ryan, why don't you kind of go in there and break in some of the nuance as well on how the CBC uh, is getting funding and spending our money? For sure, yeah. So um, the CBC gets uh, more than $1.2 billion from taxpayers uh, every single year. Um, and I think it's interesting to look, okay, well, where is that money going, right? Whenever there's talk of defund the CBC, um, CBC executives are quick to come out and say, oh, well, what about um, you know Indigenous language services? What about Northern um, radio services that we offer? This is a very, very tiny, small portion of the CBC's overall budget that actually goes to that. What we do know when we've dug into the numbers, when we filed access to information uh, requests, is that in 2022 alone, the CBC handed out $16 million in bonuses to their staff. Uh, that was on top of $12 million in raises. And if you back it up to 2015, when Justin Trudeau uh, was first elected as prime minister, $185 million in bonuses alone were have been dished out uh, at the CBC. Um, also worth pointing out, viewership and ratings, not good, right? Not a lot of people are even watching uh, the, the programming that, that they're putting out. Um, but particularly uh, from my standpoint, as someone that used to work in the newspaper business in this country, um, the biggest thing for me is that the CBC has been engaged in um, kind of a mission creep over uh, the past few years where they've gotten into the private advertising game. But they are now competing with private news outlets for advertising because the $1.2 billion from taxpayers that they're getting, apparently that's not enough. They need to uh, add to that pool of money by going after private advertising. So what, what the federal government is effectively doing is they're subsidizing um, you know, this public media outlet that uh, simply has resources that no private outlet in this country can compete with. The CBC is then doing the same job, the same covering the same stories that private news outlets try to, then turns, turns around and gives away the product for free while also competing with advertising. Um, so just every step along the way, the CBC is undercutting the ability of private media uh, in this country um, to make a profit, to earn a living, to keep themselves afloat. And I mean, an obvious point is like maybe there wouldn't be a need for, you know, the newspaper bailout and all these private media subsidies if the CBC would just simply get out of the game and stop undercutting all of their efforts uh, at being profitable. Yeah, for hey. sure, Ryan. I don't have as much experience in print uh, real quick there. Sorry, Franco, as as you do there at the at, in Winnipeg. But I remember distinctly remember a few years ago, guys, when the CBC uh, put up their hashtag no paywall. Like they were promoting the fact that they were putting a whole lot of print content online and they were pro also promoting the fact that there's no paywall. So like deliberately undercutting private newspapers, which were trying to put up paywalls in order to pay their people. But in, so, in Winnipeg, I can think of many examples where we would break stories at the Winnipeg Free Press. The CBC would then match those stories. Right. And then turn around and, and put them out for free. So they're literally matching the same work as the private media outlets, um, but then putting that information out for free, not behind a paywall, just totally undercutting the ability of the private uh, media in this country uh, to sustain itself. Hey, guys, um, I, I love all of this. I just want to interject one quick thing, because, Ryan, you've been talking about the bonuses that were that were being handed out. And I just think this is important to remind our viewers. OK, mm -hmm. so. 
the last economic update, the last budget update from Freeland uh, essentially gave the CBC an extra $42 million to help the CBC recover through the pandemic, right? Isn't that nice? And that's $42 million extra on top of the billion plus they get every single year. So they got an extra $42 million from the feds to help them recover through the pandemic. Well, since the beginning of the pandemic, they handed out $46 million in bonuses. You see that math? An extra forty-two million to help recover from the pandemic, then an extra forty or then forty-six million dollars in bonuses to their employees during the pandemic, right? So, so that just doesn't really add up to me. Um, I do want to get into that a little bit of the conflict of interest, uh, Chris. Let me tee you up though. Um, kind of explain the scenario of when the CBC was created versus now, and then kind of talk about the conflict of interest that is created by having a government-funded media organization. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of people, myself included, for a long time thought that the CBC Radio Canada was the first ever radio station in the country. No, that's not true. Uh, there were around 100 or so private radio stations across the country uh, back when the CBC was first fired up. And when it first got started, it was created just as a radio station in order to broadcast like the weather to farmers, right? To give you updates on what was happening during the Second World War. And also uh, to kind of compete with some of the radio dramas and the soap operas. By the way, they were literally called soap operas because they were soap commercials on the radio and they had dramas around them. Um, it was in order to compete with some of the radio dramas and soap operas coming out of Chicago and New York. And so now we're hearing the same old age old thing of, oh, we have to put out Canadian content, you know, to thwart the Americans. The thing is, is Amer uh, Canadian radio stations were already doing that we had everything from talk shows out here in the prairies to radio orchestras broadcasting live from downtown toronto so all of that was happening before the cbc even went on the air uh nowadays obviously you can get the hockey game anywhere and farmers spend a lot of money on their fancy satellite programs to find out the weather minute by minute and so if we're looking at it now 2023 the idea of the government providing you information, providing you news while they're being paid by taxpayers is an inherent conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. If you're counting on the government for your paycheck, you cannot hold the government to account. It's just obvious. Hey, um, yeah. so another thing I just want to jump in, Ryan, is yeah. like, the idea that you would even need the government to promote like Canadians to make it big now is like just so hilariously silly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, first yeah. of all, nobody's <laughs> want, like, 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 think about the viewership and listenership of the CBC. Like, if you're relying on the CBC to make it big, uh, you ain't making it big. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, also, like, just think of like who's probably the most famous um, Canadian to come out in the last what twenty years or so? Justin Bieber. You just do that through YouTube. Like, there's so many different ways. Like, it's never been easier and cheaper uh, than ever to, to get your message out to, like, countless, not just Canadians, but millions of people uh, in North America and around the world. Now, Ryan, since you are hot off the press, we literally yeah. scooped you out uh, straight from a, a newspaper. Can you kind of provide, like, your insight, like, what you think about this conflict of interest and the government funding? Yeah, well, the the paper, the newspaper I spent the vast majority of my career at was called the Winnipeg Free Press, or is called the Winnipeg Free Press. And um, you know, sometimes people would would come after me on social media or um, different reporters on staff and be like, "Well, this is behind a paywall. It's not free, right? Why are you called the Winnipeg Free Press?" And it's a misunderstanding of what free in the context of a free press actually means. And free, uh, the free press, the freedom there, it means freedom from government, right? From no funding, no interference, no censorship, right? And, uh, you know, a free press is a foundation of, a, you know, any sort of like pluralistic democratic society. Um, and journalists need uh, to be able to freely investigate and write stories, right? They need to be able to speak truth to power. Um, and, you know, journalistic like, analysis or editorial lines, they can be left-wing, they can be right-wing, they can be centrist, that's fine. I don't particularly have an issue with it as long as people are honest and kind of upfront about their priors and where they're coming from, uh, but it can't be funded by the government. Right. It just it can't be or it doesn't work. Journalism to function properly, to fulfill its role, its very important role in society, it needs to stand on its own two free feet. Um, and this is something I've heard Chris say over and over again. 
journalists should not be paid by the government, full stop. And the fact that this even needs to be said in 2023 shows the extent to which Canadian news media has absolutely fallen. Like it's an embar- it's embarrassing that this is even a conversation that needs to be had because it is so basic and so elementary. It is. And I, I can hear I can hear the passion in Ryan's voice there, Franco. If you want to jump in there, that's fine, too. Um, speaking personally, and I don't want to speak for Ryan, but journalism is a calling for most people. Most of the good journalists I knew uh, back back in the industry, um, they felt compelled to be a journalist. So they liked sticking up for the little guy. Right. One of my old uh, uh, bureau chiefs used to say it's our job to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And coming from like kind of a rural working class background, um, I found myself plopped in the middle of the halls of power quite often or at, you know, different receptions and things like that. And it was my job to be able to question these powerful people. And that is a privilege uh, that not a lot of everyday people get a chance to do. And so it's really a, a matter of trust that a lot of Canadians are giving you if you're acting as a journalist. And what I find interesting is that speak going back to the CBC, one of the main shows on the CBC is called the fifth estate. So what the heck does that mean? Well, that's because the first three uh, classical estates of the realm are supposed to be the clergy, the nobility, and the rest of the population. The fourth estate was initially meant to be kind of what we would nowadays call the mainstream press, generally speaking. The fifth estate in concept is supposed to be kind of the independent, freewheeling, you know, muckraking um, level of the press. I find it interesting that it was the CBC that picked up on that name and, and started using it. But this is all getting back to the fact that the the tradition of W5, who, what, where, when, why, fact-finding level of journalism has been happening here for a long time. It's been with us for a long time, to, to Ryan's point, in democracies. And I think that's why so many people have a bad relationship with journalism now and with the, with the press because they don't know who to trust anymore. Okay, that that's a really interesting place to kind of leave your comments there, uh, Chris. Like we don't people don't know who to trust. You know, one of the lines that I think about quite often is that when you think of media and journalism, it's supposed to be holding the powerful to account with the people, not holding the people accountable to the powerful. Who? What is the most powerful institution in Canada? The government. Like it is. Like it is the most powerful institution of government, right? They're the monopoly of of violence. Some people would say, or a force, or mm-hmm. coercion, or whatever you want to call it. Um. So they truly are the powerful. All levels of government: the bureaucrats, the politicians, and everyone connected to the government through special privileges or or corporate welfare or whatever. Um, now, Ryan, I mean, just as anecdotes, I, I hear a lot of people saying, like, I don't trust the, uh, the the media. Now, we work directly with a lot of good people in the media, a lot of good people in the media. But unfortunately, I think they are they're painted with this broad brush because they know so much of the corporate press is being subsidized directly from the government. A lot of polls show that people are losing trust um, in, in much of the media landscape as well. Ryan, like, Again, we just scooped you up from the press. Like, like, can you just provide some insights, some anecdotes, maybe some polling data that you've seen on this issue? Yeah, well, the first thing to point out, I would say, is that news publishers, um, newspaper publishers, publishers of the private media uh, in this country, they sold the industry's integrity down the river by petitioning the federal government for endless handouts. Um, and so I think it's quite uh, it's quite right for the public to look at this when the private press is being subsidized by the federal government to the extent it is and say, well, how are these people supposed to hold the government accountable when the government is signing their paychecks, right? And a very basic lesson that I learned in journalism school that I would imagine any journalist in this country who went to J school learned, uh, probably week one, was that you not only avoid real conflicts of interest when you're reporting on stories, you avoid even the perception of one, right? Well, here, they've thrown that out the window and they have purposely stepped in to a very real conflict of interest. Um, and that is absolutely having an impact on, on public trust in the press because 
public trust is it falling about as fast as industry stock prices and profit margins are at this point there was some recent polling out of the united states uh that that found that 61 percent of respondents now believe that the press that journalists are actively lying to them right not that journalists are torquing things a, a little bit around the margins or perhaps get things wrong sometimes and the mistakes surprise surprise always seem to trend in the same direction no that they're actually trying to mislead them uh which is that is a damning indictment to the state uh, of the press and and quite frankly at least in the canadian context as long as as journalists and um, and news outlets are being subsidized by the federal government the public shouldn't trust them quite frankly because they've sold their integrity out the window and you know Picking up on that, Ryan, when you combine this, so 61%, like you just said, of people now think that they're actively trying to mislead them with statements they know to be false. So not a typo, not mispronouncing somebody's name by mistake or an oopsie. Um, that's pretty harsh to hear, but it's a truth that we have to listen to or we're not going to fix this. Um, when you combine all of this, so the funding, the lack of trust, all of these problems with the industry, with the fact that now... The federal government is deciding who a journalist is, who a qualified journalist is, and then they're actively paying that journalist with the consequences of something like Bill C-11, where they're trying to strangle uh, free expression online by downgrading whether or not they're Canadian or not, enough or not. So that's going to be through the CRTC. You've got those two things happening at the same time. So on one hand, the, the state, the government is actively funding journalists that they are choosing, while at the same time somehow stifling the free expression of online news media, for example, or independent media that may not be taking government money, you've got a serious problem with free expression in Canada. Uh, a lot of people call it free speech. In Canada, it's called free expression. So this is a major problem. And again, it leads back to the fact that why are we raising a ruckus about this? Well, our mandate is lower taxes, less waste and accountable government. So this hits all three, but especially accountable government, because if we don't have a free press free from the government, folks are going to have a real hard time holding that government to account. Chris, you just put such a nice bow on that. Um, I say nice. It's, it's quite scary sometimes when you think about it. Right. On the one hand, you have unelected bureaucrats and, of course, our elected politicians funding. Uh, the media, both private and the state broadcaster. And then on the other hand, you're going to have unelected bureaucrats, uh, you know, essentially deciding to an extent what we see or don't see online on our social media platform. So uh, a very uh, scary and potentially dangerous combo. I I'm, I'm, I think you put it uh, very well. So with that, folks, um, look, I know you guys are both very, very busy. I just want to say thanks for coming on here and really shedding some light on this issue that's very close to home for you and to much of our listeners. To our listeners, if you this uh, conversation inspires you to take some action, good, it should. The first thing that you need to do is head over to taxpayer.com and sign the petition to defund the CBC and end the media bailout. And Ryan, you've dug up another doozy of a story on the crazy ways the Trudeau government is spending our tax dollars. Ryan, why don't you break down what you discovered for our listeners here? Yeah, for sure. I think crazy is the the right word here, Franco. Um, so we managed at the CTF, we managed to get our hands on a 445-page page, uh, document, actually. Um, it's a series of internal government records, essentially laying out every time the federal government has purchased branded promotional merchandise in recent years. So the, the records cover a period of about 28 months, beginning in January 2021 up until May 2023. Um, and it includes responses from every federal uh, agency and Crown Corporation. Um, so just to kind of start things off, let me give you a couple of quick examples of the type yep, of purchases that were out here. Yeah. So the Business Development Bank of Canada spent $17,600 on branded golf balls. <laughs> wah, Investing, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> Investing Canada shelled out $12,500 on custom-made candles. Farm Credit Canada dropped $10,600 on promotional air fresheners. And, and that's really just the, the tip of the iceberg here. Thousands of dollars on branded candles, folks. Like, let's just think about exactly what's going on here. <laughs> They're spending your money 
on candles and then lighting those candles on fire. Now, somewhere in there, there has to be a metaphor of, of how the federal government literally burns our tax dollars in fire right in front of our faces. Now, look, all of this is is crazy. Uh, if you're not going to cry, you got to laugh. But let's just like take a step back here and ask the obvious question. Like, why does the federal government feel like it needs to brand itself anyways? Yeah, that's one of the first questions that I had, I, I got to admit, when we did get our hands on these documents. And I, I think in this case, um, the federal government, it really needs to come out and make a case for why these purchases were justified. And if they can't, I think heads should roll here, because as you keep going through the document, it just gets more and more absurd. So uh, the Windsor-Detroit Bridge spent $990 on branded candy. I didn't even realize it was possible to brand candy, but apparently the, <laughs> the Windsor Bridge needed some of this. Uh, the Jacques Cartier Bridge, not to be outdone, dropped $9,700 on polo shirts. Um, and again, setting aside the question of why do the federal government need to brand and promote itself? Why do bridges? You know, this is this is absolutely ridiculous. The Business Development Bank of Canada spent $3,700 on branded mints. We're whoa, still whoa, in the, whoa, the one second here. One second, 3,700 bucks on branded mints. That sounds to me like entitled mints. Like, let's just get to this point of how crazy it is that you have a bridge promoting itself. Like, I'm pretty sure when you get to the bridge, you're, you're pretty clear that the bridge is there. You know what I mean? Like, they don't need to be spending money on polo shirts and candies for you know that when you get to a bridge, that in fact is a bridge. Yeah, and, and just, it keeps going on. It keeps getting weirder. The Canada Development Investment Corporation spent $18,000 on knitted wool socks. Uh, Destination Canada spent $9,000 on charcuterie boards. One agency spent uh, about $1,400 on Rubik's Cubes. Another spent about $1,800 on uh, Leatherman tools, kind of fancy pocket knives. And yet another spent $812 on pizza cutters. The Department of Justice spent 3300 bucks on stress balls and Export Development Canada spent $4,100 on a climate change trivia card game, whatever that is. And what does that have to do with Export Development Canada's mandate? I, I don't know. Um, and one of my personal famous favorites is I tallied up uh, across all departments and agencies how much they were spending on uh, reusable tote bags. And uh, over the 28-month period, they dropped about 200 grand. Um, and there was one department in particular that was racking up about 4,500 bucks on tote bags every single month. Man, the fact that like the Department of Justice spent 3,300 smackers on stress balls, like that stresses me out. Okay. That like that personally makes me go insane if I'm, if I'm not already insane to begin with. Okay. But that's neither here nor there. Now, what is here nor there is that when a business brands itself like McDonald's, the Golden Arches, I love a good McDonald's, uh, a good McDonald's burger, fries, and nuggets at like two or three o'clock in the morning on Friday or Saturday. So, but look, they brand themselves because they have to compete with like Burger King or Wendy's, or Arby's, or like Subway, right? That's why businesses need to brand themselves. Um, now, the federal government spending like these like tens of thousands of dollars on these different branding exercises, it's like you, you have to be wondering, like, is there like this new gang in town here in Ottawa that the federal government thinks it needs to like outbrand, outpromote itself so it can keep collecting our taxes? Like, of course not. And this is why uh, all of this is really mind boggling. Now, Ryan, I know it gets worse. I know there's some crazy individual spending, but were you able to tally like the total cost to taxpayer from all the different branding merch throughout these departments? Yeah, so the answer to that is no. Um, we don't know how much money the federal government spent kind of across the board, through, across all crown corporations and federal departments, how much they spend on branded promotional material. Now, why don't we know? It's not simply because here at the CTF, we you know weren't interested or weren't willing to do the work. We don't know because the federal government either cannot or will not tell us. So this 445-page document that we received, as a bit of background here, how we got this was that this document was released in response to a parliamentary order paper question from a conservative uh, member of parliament, John Broussard. So on May 2nd, he went to the government and he asked uh, all the departments and crown corporations um, to produce this information. How much are you spending on branded promotional material? They were given seven weeks to respond in writing, which they did on June 19th. 
There was only one agency, Fisheries and Oceans Canada, that over the seven weeks that they had to respond, that could be bothered to tally up their promotional expenditures, right? All told, the fishery department spent $916,000 or an average of about $32,000 a month. Um, But here's the thing. The fisheries department, uh, while they did do the good thing and like tally up their purchases, they couldn't provide any information at all on where the money was going, what was being bought, why it was needed, and what value, if any, taxpayers were getting for these purchases. And the lack of transparency didn't stop there. So the CBC uh, slash Radio Canada, the RCMP, Environment and Climate Change Canada, and Global Affairs all said they either didn't track promotional purchases or didn't have the time to provide disclosure. So the key thing to note here is this isn't these agencies saying, oh, we don't buy branded promotional merchandise. What they're saying is, yes, that they do, but they either don't track how much they're spending on it internally, which is unacceptable, or two, uh, that they do track it, but they had seven weeks to respond and they couldn't assign one single staffer to do the work to actually tally it all up. Uh, Meanwhile, the the Canadian Security Intelligence Services confirmed that it purchased uh, a bunch of promotional material, but they declined to say what they bought. Uh, and for people who don't know, CSIS, that's Canada's spy agency. So presumably uh, they couldn't reveal what sort of promotional material they're buying uh, because spy stuff, I guess. Uh, and then the Canada's Museum of Science and Innovation, Telefilm Film Canada, and uh, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, as well as the Canada Lands Company, all also refused to say what they bought and how much was spent. And these folks cited it as sensitive third-party information that couldn't be released. So uh, across multiple agencies and crown corporations, we just have an utter lack of transparency here, which makes um, which makes tallying up how much was spent on these uh, items uh, impossible. But, but we do know, just based off the information that's been released, that we're talking of millions of dollars here. And when we do get information on the types of purchases that they're being made, it's just a never-ending list of frivolous, ridiculous expenses. Okay, I got like four things to say here, so make sure I get through all four, and then I'll hand you back the microphone, okay? Number one, I mean, I'm just listening to you explain the CSIS, that they confirmed that they did have like some promotional material, uh, but they wouldn't tell us what it was. And like, you know, I really hope this isn't the case. I mean, it probably isn't, but I'm just like imagining like some spy out there, like somewhere uh, across the Atlantic or something like that, just like with like night vision goggles with just like CSIS right on the right on the on the top. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not really an expert when it comes to espionage, but I'm pretty sure we shouldn't be sending our spies out to the field uh, with CSIS merch, right? Just absolutely ridiculous. The second thing, I think I'm going to get through it all here, folks, is like you mentioned, what was it? The fisheries department that was almost a million dollars, right? Over over that 28 month period, almost a million bucks uh, on branded merch. Now, that's one department, the fisheries department spending like 900 K plus on this kind of branded merch. Like just think about the actual cost to taxpayers. If you go across every single government department, every single crown corporation and agency like that's. I, I would I would guess that that's kind of an outrageous tab if, if we were able to get our, our hands on that information. Uh, the third thing that I want to point out here, folks, like we're kind of making fun of uh, the government here. And, you know, in the last statement I made, I was talking about, like, why does the government even need to promote itself? Remember, we're talking about departments and agencies promoting the department and agencies. We're not talking about like the government spending money being like, oh, hey, just so you know, we're doing this program or that program. I mean, we would probably be able to debate the merits of that anyways, but it's not even like it's promoting programs. They're literally getting like polos (laughs) with their names on it or pizza cutters or charcuterie boards or candy, right? Like this is how outrageous this type of spending is. Now, the fourth thing, I'm going to do it. I want to segue into the big issue here, right? Obviously, there's a large amount of costs when you add up all of the departments, if we were able to do that. But the next part is just like the complete lack of transparency. Like we dug this up because a member of parliament asked a question to the bureaucracy and many of the departments were still refusing to be transparent with this member of parliament. Now they were claiming, you know, third party sensitive information, but Ryan, I mean, that doesn't really pass the sniff test to me. Like, what do you think about that? 
No, it, it, it doesn't pass uh, the smell test either, uh, in my opinion. It's, it's a pretty basic principle, right? If you're going to spend tax dollars, then you need to be honest with taxpayers about where that money is going. And um, and furthermore, I think you should also explain, like, why are these needed purchases and, and what value are we getting in return for it? That seems like a pretty basic uh, principle of transparency that's absolutely being violated here. Um and and I think it's you know it's quite aggravating, quite frankly, to see so many agencies say one, we don't track these purchases. Well, it's like well then start right. You should be keeping track of where you're spending our money. And two, that oh we had seven weeks, but we didn't have the time or the resources to look into this, or you know it's not even worth you know the effort to 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 get this information in response to a question from an elected representative. Um, so here's an idea, right? Since Justin Trudeau was first elected in 2015, the federal government has hired 98,000 new bureaucrats. And we know that because that's another story we broke here at the CTF. So how about each agency that isn't tracking this stuff takes one of those new bureaucrats, one of those new 98,000 bureaucrats that have been hired in recent years and assigns them into tracking how much money, how much taxpayer money they're dumping into things like branded air fresheners and promotional Rubik's cubes. Well, okay? hold on, Ryan. Hold on. Like, let's not give them any ideas. Now they're going to want to go out on another hiring spree. And, you know, Ryan, you know, just to play devil's advocate, maybe they would push back on you and be like, well, look, Ryan, uh, to dig out those receipts from those shoe boxes, we got to go into the office to do that. <laughs> That's true. We also know that in addition to not being able to tell us how much money they're spending on branded promotional merch, the federal government also can't tell us where their people are working because they don't know how many people are working in the offices or working from home at this point. But that is a different matter for a different day. Uh, or the, the other thing, the other thing, the simple thing the federal government could do was just be like, hey, maybe let's lay off the branded golf balls and the promotional pizza cutters while increasing numbers of Canadians are like losing their businesses or, you know, losing jobs or struggling to stay in their homes um, and unable to fill up their grocery carts or their vehicles due to the uh, ongoing um, affordability crunch. Um, but then again, hey, that's that's just an idea from me, a lowly journalist. Radical. Radical idea, sir. Uh, anyways, Ryan, hey, great job on this. Uh, this is one of my favorite stories that we've dug up. I mean, for a couple reasons, it really hammers home uh, the importance of transparency and when the government is failing on transparency. Uh, the second reason I really like this story is, like, honestly, folks, if you added all of this promotional material across the government, it would be a lot of money. So highlighting the fact that it's not just a little bit of money, but they're actually spending a ton of money on this type of waste, I, I think it's a great job. But number three, I mean, there's just some hilarious examples of how they're our money and, and you know what we always say this but you have to mock these politicians they can handle outrage but they don't like being mocked and ryan i think your story does a great job of this uh folks if you want to learn more uh it, please do share with your friends and family but we're actually going to link the original story that ryan did uh, at taxpayer.com we're going to put that right in the show notes for you to read yourself